Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Hallelujah. Let's get into this word in Joel chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring everyone, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon titled, Get Ready for the Fast. Look at your neighbor and say, Get Ready. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that now that you would anoint my mouth to say the things that you'd have me to say and anoint our ears to hear you inside our spirit, man. Teach us, God, today from your word is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody seen Deacon Scott Mills? Hey, can you turn this whole system just off, just completely off? Because we're about to open the door in a minute. Whew, it's hot up here, isn't it? Ah, hallelujah. Get ready for the fast. We have traditions as a church, like everyone has traditions. And hallelujah, they got word on the, on the screen. And one of the things that we do as a church is every year we have a time of fasting, prayer, and consecration. Fasting is depriving your flesh of something that it wants. Prayer is talking to God. And consecrating is to set something aside for God's use and to make sure that it is fit for the master's use. I talked last week about how great it, ice cream socials are. I love a good ice cream social because that means I typically don't have to, you know, dig through hard ice cream to get it. They put it in a bowl and I just sprinkle stuff on it. Uh, but if at a good ice cream social they gave you a spoon that they had used to unclog the septic tank with, right? You don't want that. Why? Because that spoon is not fit for the use that you are intending it for. They give you a spoon with a bowl of ice cream. You intend to use that spoon to put that ice cream in your mouth. So if it's dirty, you can't use it for its intended purpose. Do you know that you are not an accident? You are not a mistake. You're not an afterthought whether mom and daddy planned you or even wanted you. God purposed you to be born in this generation, in this life, at this time. You're here by God's determined will and you have a purpose, you have a usefulness, God has a purpose for your life. But if you're all dirty and sewaged up, then you're not fit for the master's use. We can't eat cereal or ice cream with dirty spoons, and God can't accomplish his will through dirty vessels. And see, that's not popular preaching in 2017. That hasn't been popular preaching in a really long time because the world doesn't like to hear about holiness. But don't get it twisted. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You have to have holiness. There has to be a change in your life. So every year we take a 21-day period where we come together and we pray every night for 21 days. And many of us will be fasting and we'll be praying all day and we will be increasing our spirituality. Why? Because we want to offer God our first fruit. We want to take this first month of 2017 and get really serious. Every year we have a theme at Abundant Life. I ask God in December. I lock down and I go into prayer on December every year. And I ask God, what do you want me to focus on 
speaking to your people about in the coming year. And the theme that God gave me for 2017 was getting serious about getting healthy in 2017. I've talked to you for years about five different realms that we live on. Spiritual, physical, emotional, financial, and relational. You got to get your spiritual life right. You got to get your physical life right. You got to get your money right. You got to get your mind right. And you got to get your relationships right. For that to happen, you're going to have to get really serious because that's a lot of work. So we're going to get serious and we're going to start by this time of fasting, prayer, and consecration, which will begin this Wednesday night. And I want to invite you to come out. Wednesday night is the beginning of our fast, and we, we want to have as many people come as are willing to. Listen, I'll tell you the same way I tell you all the time. Come if you can. Pray for us if you can. Very few people will be able to come 21 days in a row. Schedules won't allow it. Health won't allow it. Travel won't allow it. Work won't allow it. I get that. Listen, but come if you can. Pray for us if you can't, but make sure that you dedicate something and consecrate something to the Lord during this time because you reap what you sow. And we need to plant good seed in January so we can reap good harvest all through 2017. I told y'all last week, I've been, it's stuff still blowing in here. Deacon Mills, can, can you turn override system off? Because it's still blowing. No on fan, no auto fan, no air, override system off. And we won't have anything blowing at all, and that would be awesome. Because I forgot where I was at, preacher. I told y'all last week I've been to lots of conferences in 30 years of ministry. Church growth, that's the big thing. Preachers pay a lot of money to have an expert tell them how to grow their church. Uh, You know what an expert is, don't you? Somebody with a briefcase 80 miles away from their home. That's all. I guarantee you. We, we dress, we dress Deacon West up. We, we, we put a suit on him. Or we just send him out there looking nice like that. Throw a briefcase on him. Give him some big today. Our general conference speaker. Our man of the hour. Tower of power. Too sweet to be sour. Coming from, to us all the way from Live Oak, Florida. Uh, an expert. Been, uh, and, and just build him up. And everybody's like, must be an expert. Came all this way to tell us how to do it. Preachers spend a lot of money trying to learn how to grow churches. And I've been to conferences, and I've never heard one conference about prayer and fasting. But Jesus said he would build his church. And what did Jesus spend his time doing? Prayer and fasting. Let's look at what the Word says. Let's look at our text in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. The Scripture says, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now. While there is time, give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Turn to me now while there is time. Always pay attention to the punctuation. Take the scripture in bite-sized pieces. Think about it. Get it down in you. Try to understand what it's saying, not just hear what it's saying. Try to feed on it as the food that God intends it to be for your inner man. Turn to me now. While there is time. Now, I talk to you all a lot about the principle of inference. A lot is said, and some things are inferred that are not said. If God says, turn to me while there is time, then there obviously is coming a time where there will be what? No time. There's time now, but we don't know how long that time will last. Jesus said, you got to work while it's, a day, while it's a day because there's a day coming when nobody can work. You, listen. It's how they say it in the country. You got to make hay while the sun is shining. You got to get up and get it while you can get up and get it. 
when, when you're feeling good, get a lot of work in. We've got to turn to the Lord now. All right, I'm going to check see how many of y'all are awake, and I'm going to find out all the Bible geniuses in the room right now because this is straight word. The Scripture says, turn to me now. God wants us to turn to him when? All y'all Bible geniuses. Get a briefcase, go 80 miles outside of town, teach fasting and prayer, and get, tell people how to grow their church. They won't like it because they want something easier. But God said, turn to him now while there is time. All through the Scripture, you find out that God is a God of timing. He created the earth with timing in mind. He said as long as the earth exists, there would be seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. So for those people who, who don't like cold weather, listen, in most parts of the country, you, you, you know, you just wait till spring. Unless you live up north, and then you wait till you know, July 4th. And then you gear up for the cold weather again in September. But if most places are geared up to have a winter three months, then a spring, then a summer, then a fall. And it is cyclical, and it is all about timing. Listen, you have a time in your life right now that you'll never get back. And I believe too many people face life like, well, this is a trial run. Listen, it's not a trial run. This, this is what happens to you, and, and I had to live through this, and I had to watch this unfold in my own life. When my wife was diagnosed with cancer, and they told us that she probably wouldn't make it through the weekend, and she lived for a year and a half. We saw how precious time was and how finite time was, and we knew we've got to make the most out of every minute. When, when you get put on a deadline, when you begin to see the end is near, you start thinking about things in a different direction. Listen, y'all know most people, well, I can talk about men. I don't know about women. I am totally convinced the experts are right that women mature faster than men. I think women grow up in their teenage years, and men grow up in their 70s. Hallelujah. Amen. And so y'all know, y'all keep, y'all just keep holding on. But we do not need to face life like children and think that we've got forever. Listen to me today. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or 88. You don't have forever. You don't know when your last day will come. You, listen, those people at that baggage claim uh, in, in South Florida, they, they, they had no idea. They're standing there trying to get their luggage. Five of them are dead right now. And, and, and a bunch more of them in the hospital. They didn't get up that day thinking, well, we're going to fly to South Florida to have a nice time and get away from this cold weather, and, and, and that be their last moment on this earth. Now, I'm not here to give you gloom and doom, but I am here to tell you, you need to wake up and turn to the Lord while there is time. I've had a lot of people tell me when I witnessed to them about becoming a Christian, well, Pastor, you know, I'm going to do me and then when I get old and have had all my fun, then I'll turn to Jesus and become a Christian. Listen, they're missing the whole point. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Their real fun is on this side of Christianity, way better than on that other side. But I've had, people, I've had Christians tell me, well, I'm going to get right with God eventually. Listen, this is the time. The Bible says now is the time. This is the appointed time. Today is the right time to do it. God says do this thing now. Say now. He says give me your hearts. Give me your hearts. If God said, give me your hearts 5,000 years ago, guess what he would tell you today? Give me your hearts. Because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His ways are always the same. I have so many people say, well, Pastor Scott, you're just old school. You know, times have changed. Things are different now. God hasn't changed a bit, and he never will. What he said then, he'll still say today, God wants your heart. Does he have it? 
If you don't hear anything else I say today, answer that in your own mind. Does he have your heart or does the world have your heart? Is your heart caught up in money, fame, fortune, personal agenda? Is, is it caught up in friends and relationships? Is it caught up in anything other than God because Christ needs to be the center of your life? That's why he said, give me your hearts. Well, the proper question, if someone says, give me your heart, you know, you, well, don't cut it out and hand it. What are you talking about, God? How do I do that? How do I obey you? He answers, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Fasting is an expected behavior among Christians. It always has been. It's always been a big part of Christianity until the last hundred years when people decided, you know, Twinkies and fudge rounds and, uh, you know, ho-hos and uh, ding-dongs and, and buttercups and whatever else there is out there that people just had to have. But we need to understand that God says if you want to get serious, you got to turn to him now while there's time. You have to really give him the inner you, and the way you do that is with a determined effort. See, fasting is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be difficult. Weeping and mourning are not casual emotions. They are deep emotions that require energy, and they will drain you. We, we got to understand we've only got a limited time on this earth, and we got to make the most of it. We got to turn to him with all our heart. I want you to know Christianity is only for people who are all in. Only for people who are all in. If you want to be a part-time Christian, uh, you, you, you're in the wrong religion. Pick a different religion. If you want to be a part-time religionist, pick a different religion because Christianity offers no, no benefit to part-timers. You know, I, I can remember years ago, one of the things people, I had some friends working at Home Depot, and they were so excited because the big thing they were excited about then, I don't know if it's still true today, but that Home Depot was giving benefits to part-timers. And they were like, yeah, but I can, I can work there part-time, still go to school, and get full benefits because they're one of the few big companies that were giving benefits to part-timers. And it dawned on me at that point, you know what? God sure doesn't. God doesn't give any benefits to part-timers because he said, you got to come to me, you got to seek for me with your whole heart. For 21 days, starting this Wednesday night, we are going to be coming to God at this time. We're going to be doing it with our whole heart, and we're going to be doing it with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. We, we fast for our need. We weep for our sin, and we mourn for our situation. As we enter into this fast uh, this week, we need to understand that our situation, we need to understand what our situation is and what our needs are. I'll give you a few in just a minute, but if you don't know America's in trouble, you ain't been watching the news. If you don't know, if you don't know that uh, race tensions are worse than they've ever been in my lifetime, I'm 53 years old. I never, you ever seen it worse than this, Sergeant Major? I mean, it's, things are bad, right? I mean, we got this election that, you know, got the whole world upside down. We, we, we've got people hurting. We've got the political correct movement just trying to destroy the church. We got, I mean, it's just Stuff is going bad in this country right now, and we need God. And we are not going to get God with some casual approach. God bless everybody in the world and help us too. Amen. That is not coming to him wholeheartedly. That is not coming to him uh, fasting for our need, weeping for our sin, and mourning for our situation. God says that we got to come to him with our whole hearts. we got to come with fasting. we got to come 
with weeping. I'm, I'm going to tell you some things that we need. We, we need a reprieve. We need a reprieve. We need a slate wiped clean. The church in America has sown garbage for too long. The church in America has sold lack, slack, and non-holiness for too long. And if God wants to judge us fairly and justly and adequately, there's a whole lot of bad stuff coming for people claiming the name of Christ in 2017. But we need God to say, you know what, I want to choose mercy over justice. We need the judge of all the earth to give us a reprieve and to cancel the punishment that is due the church right now. I like what uh, Billy Graham's wife said many years ago. I, I like it in theory, although I don't believe it's true. In fact, she said, if God doesn't judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, God doesn't have to do anything. He certainly doesn't owe anyone an apology. But listen, America is way nastier than Sodom and Gomorrah was. America is, 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 is the most debased country. Listen, I'm a patriot. Some of my best years of my life were in the military. I, I love the military. I stand for the flag. I say the Pledge of Allegiance. I make my children take their hats off, put a hand over their heart when, when, when the Star Spangled Banner is playing. I am as patriotic as you will find, but I'm honest about America. America leads the world in violent crime, in rape, in murder, in abortion, in, in all kinds of bad stuff. God wiped out entire countries for that. But people, church folk in America are just like, well, we're America. And? Well, we're God's favorite. No, we're not. Israel is God's favorite. He made that, he made that clear. People have this false assumption that America is just going to continue to skate through forever. And, you know, God wouldn't do anything to America because why? Well, we're America. <laughs> that buys no, nothing with God. And if you study history, you'll find out America is the only country in the history of the world to ever exist under one governmental document for over 200 years. 200 years was always the breaking point for dynasties and regimes. And between 80 to 200 years, at some point, they just fell all apart and had to drop down to the bottom and build back up. See, one, there was a time where Spain ruled the world. There, there was a time where England ruled the world. There was a time where different countries not named America were on top. But we've got it in our mind that, well, we can just keep doing what we want to do. We don't have to pray. We, we got MTV. We, we, don't, we, we don't have to get on our knees and, and pray and fast and weep. We, you know, we, we've got technology. But I'm telling you, we need God to give forgiveness and cancel the punishment due the church. I've been telling you all for years. Church attendance on decline in America. We need a reprieve from that. What, 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 people, I've had people say, why do you care how many people come to church? Well, I obviously don't care how many people show up to this church. Or I'd preach differently. I'd stand at the door and shake everybody's hand and tell them how pretty they look. And that's a really nice dress. And, and thank God for you being here today. Um, when I get done preaching, my socks are wet. And I want to go get dry clothes on. And I don't want to stand there when I, I want to think about what God has just said and what God has spoken through me to get, make sure I get it down inside of me. We're not here to build big churches, but church attendance is important because people need the answer that the, world, that the church has, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, we need a reprieve. A, a reprieve is when you don't get what you have coming to you. Listen, people, I mean, so many people that are broke. 
broke. I don't know what you started working for. I need somebody to help me out. I started working for $2.65 an hour. You know what $2.65 an hour at a full-time job will get you a week? About 100 bucks before taxes mess it up. How, how many people work for less than $2.65 an hour? What, what, what they have going on back then? Dollar? 50? 65 cents an hour. 65 cents an hour. You know what that'll get you? That, that'll get you. That'll get you 65, 13. That'll get $26 a week on a full time job. $26 a week. We got people making four, five, six hundred $600 a week. We got people making $800, $1,000 a week. Broke as a joke. Couldn't buy a Coke. You make $1,000 a week and you're broke, you need help. I'm telling you what I, and people are like, mm, man, that's been a long time since I'm, I'm making $1,500 a week, Reverend, I'm still broke. You talking about you now? <laughs> Listen, we make more money now than people have ever made in the history of this country, and we're still broke. People living in lack, people not having. We need, we need help. We need God to fix some stuff. Sin in the church is on the rise. We need a reprieve. Listen, we just started a brand new year, and we need God's blessing in 2017. And I want you to get serious about getting spiritual in 2017. I want you to get involved in this fast this month. I want you to dedicate, consecrate, set aside the first month of this year so that God can have 11 months to bless you with in the remainder of this year. We need the favor of God in 2017 so we can get serious about getting healthy listen to verse 13 God said don't tear your clothing in your grief instead tear your hearts now to us this this verbiage unless you're real church you've been in church for a long time that just sounds weird and we typically gloss over that but their custom was when something was done irreligious all the religious people would just rip just Hulk Hogan just rip their clothes as if they were in deep grief and it was an outward sign of, you've offended my religiosity. You, that, that was shameful of what you've done. You know, it's hard to offend people now with sinfulness. Now, you can offend them with Jesus, but we'll save that for tonight's message. He said, don't tear your clothing. He's talking about don't do what you typically have been doing because that ain't working. He said, don't tear your clothing in your grief. Instead, tear your hearts. I want you to consider that one word this week, instead. I want you to consider that one word. If I didn't have so much I was trying to get to today, I'd preach this whole message on that one word, instead. Because we need an instead year. We need an instead week. We need an instead lifestyle. Because what we've been doing ain't been getting it. We need to do something instead of what we've been doing. We need to do something differently than what we've been doing. Listen, I see kids running crazy. Parents can't handle their own children. People losing houses. People going into their third and fourth bankruptcies, their second and third repossessions. We need to do something different. Say different. God told them, listen, y'all got this custom. Y'all got this, this deal that y'all normally do. Listen, I want you to try something different. I want you to do something instead. Stop just making it an outward show. Get serious on the inside. Tear your heart. Then he says, return to the Lord your God, comma. If you know me, I'm always going to tell you, Paul's on the punctuation. Pay attention to the punctuation. He said, return to the Lord your God, 
We'll pretend like it's Sunday night or Wednesday night open discussion Bible study and let some, some of y'all uh, Bible scholars help us out. When God says return to the Lord your God, what, what, what does that intimate to us? What does that infer to us? What type of people is, is, is that talking about? Christians and people who have what? Been close to God before and it fell back. Do you believe it's possible for a Christian to backslide? Absolutely. You know, there's whole denominations out there that don't believe Christians can backslide. They believe if you, if you do something that ain't perfect, you lose your salvation and you got to get saved all over again. Listen, I'm not talking about getting saved again because if God changes you, he'll change you forever. But there are, I, I can't think of anybody that doesn't need to come closer to God. And I know a lot of really good Christian people. But I'll say it to you this way. If there's ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now, you need to return to God. You need to get closer to God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful. I told you all many times people try to make this contrast about the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. Oh, Pastor Scott, I'm so glad I'm in the New Testament. We're in the grace covenant. God was about wrath in the Old Testament, about mercy in the New Testament. Listen, God's still about wrath, and he's still about mercy, and he was always about wrath, and he's always about mercy, and he was the same then, and he's the same now. He was merciful then. He said that he is gracious and merciful. That right there ought to be enough truth to make you serve God forever. If you can see it in the Bible, you ought to be able to believe it. The Bible says that God is gracious and merciful. What does that mean? He ain't giving you what you got coming to you. He's giving you mercy. That ought to be enough right there to make you give a dime out of a dollar for the rest of your life. You ought to pay tithes, give offerings, be on every volunteer ministry in the church. Why? Because he's gracious and merciful. He didn't punish you every time he could have. He didn't take you out to the whipping shed every time he could have. He didn't take from you everything he could have took from you to get your attention when you were running the other way. Why? Because this is the nature of the God we serve. The God we serve of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the only Testament is a gracious and a merciful God. What else is he? He's not easily angered. I hope you understand that about God. Chuck Swindoll wrote a great book in the 80s titled The Grace Awakening. And he said that the majority of people are conditioned to see God in one of two ways. Most people, he said, see God as an old man sitting on a throne with a lightning bolt in one hand to zap you with and a rod in the other hand to smack you in the head with every time you step out of line. And that's a no-faced God, a God who's telling you no all the time and scolding you all the time. He said, but real Christians need to learn how to see a yes-faced God, a loving God, a father sitting in a soft chair, not a stone throne, sitting in a soft chair calling for you to come and spend time with him. Because the God of the Bible is not easily angered. He's not an angry God sitting up in heaven waiting to zap you and smack you every time you mess up. Listen, if God zapped us and smacked us every time we messed up, we'd all be stretched out in the hospital right now. If God zapped us and smacked us every time we messed up, we'd all be dead right now. But he's gracious, he's merciful, he's not easily angered. What else does it say about our great God? He's filled with kindness, and he's eager not to punish you. Well, this is the kind of God you ought to get behind. This is the kind of God you ought to serve. This is the kind of God you ought to embrace and say, this is the God I choose for me and for mine. I want this kind of God. I want a loving, good, gracious, merciful. He don't get mad quick. He's filled with kindness. And listen, listen to this play on words. 
He's eager not to punish you. That's not how we talk in 2017. You talk about what you're eager to do. Man, I really want to go get something to eat. I wish he'd shut up so we could eat lunch. Man, I'm really, I'm, I'm really ready for, you know, March Madness to come. I'm really ready to go watch a playoff game, football today. If we talk about what we're eager to do, this is a play on words. Why? To get you to see it. There's a different verbiage in here to make it stand out from the text so that you will pay attention to what God is eager not to do. You don't tell your kids, man, I am eager not to beat you. You don't say that. You, you, if you, if you want to say that, you tell them, I, I really want to do something nice for you. But God wants to say it in such a way that it sounds unusual so we'll pay attention to it so we'll get the point. God is not eager to punish you. He's eager not to punish you. That means he's not eager to punish you. He's eager to forgive. The Bible says he's ready to pardon and quick to forgive. Don't run from God. Don't think you can hide from God. Don't think that your sin has driven you so far away from God that you can't ever come back to him again. The God of this Bible is a loving, gracious God who is eager to not punish you. He wants to give you good things. He wants to give you a great 2017. He wants to bless every area of your life. He's eager to throw blessing at you. You just got to be willing to get all the bad stuff out of the way so the good stuff can come. Verse 14. Talking about God says, who talking about this time of fasting and what God's telling these people to do. Who knows? Perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Perhaps. Say perhaps. All right. Now, if you've been acting bad, if you've been doing wrong, and you know that the law is out there, and you're guilty, and they're going to arrest you and lock you in jail, give you 5 to 10, 10 to 20, 70 to life, whatever they're going to give you, and you know you're guilty, and there's no, and you know you're going to get off. Uh, you know you're not going to get off because you're guilty, and you know you're guilty. And you got to walk out that door. But the judge sends his assistant in and says, if anybody is carrying a Bible with them when they walk out that door, perhaps they won't go to jail today. Now, this is where we're going to find out where all the real criminals are because criminals are pretty smart about not wanting to go to jail. If all you got, if, if, if they said, look, you're guilty, and the cops are outside to arrest you. But maybe if you walk outside without a Bible, with a Bible in your hand, maybe they won't. Perhaps they won't. How many people think that perhaps is worth grabbing a Bible and walking out there and, and, and trying to get past it? See, all the real criminals got their hands up. Like, hey, I, I live on a perhaps right now because I ain't got no better chances than that. Perhaps is good enough for me when I'm guilty and I deserve to be punished. A perhaps is better than anything. Listen, we're guilty. Before the Lord. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're guilty before the Lord. But God says, who knows? Perhaps. Even yet, he will give you, maybe God will give you a reprieve. Maybe God will send you a blessing instead of a curse. Maybe he'll give you so much that you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Maybe. He's telling us to come to him in weeping and fasting and mourning. He's telling us to come to him with his whole heart. And he's not guaranteeing a life of ease and grease. What he is saying is, perhaps it'll get better for you. Listen, if you take an honest assessment out of your life right now, 
perhaps would be a good place to put your money on right now. If, if, if God said, hey, look, if abundant life would come together in unity and in love in 2017 and walk together as one man and love each other and love God and love people, if we'll come out for 21 days in this time of prayer and fasting, maybe God will heal some racial tension in Jacksonville. I'll take that. If, if, if God said, if, if we'll come together and do these things and search for him with our whole heart, maybe God will, will, will let us make a little bit extra cash in 2017. I'll, I'll take that. If God, if God was to tell some of y'all, hey, maybe if you come out to fasting and prayer a couple times, we'll, I'll, I'll make sure the repo man don't find your car and he finds somebody. Hey, I'll take that on a perhaps. You got to learn how to have a perhaps mindset. You got to learn how to have a I want God's help no matter how I got to get it because I know I'm behind. If you're not willing to see that you're behind, if you're not willing to see that we're all guilty before a holy God, then this isn't going to make any sense to you at all. Verse 15 God says, blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. A trumpet is a sounding device to signal an alarm, to create urgency. Blow the trumpet, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting. This is, man, can y'all read that? I got hot air blowing on me. People sleep. Blow the trumpet. 53 years old, ain't never had a pair of eyeglasses, contacts on, but that was looking a little sketchy. Announce a time of fasting. Let me tell you, what we are doing is biblical, and you ought to want to be involved in what's biblical. A lot of what churches do is just religious. This is biblical. We are announcing a time of fasting, January 11th through the 31st, 7 to 8 o'clock every night. We're going to come up here. We're going to call the people together, and we are going to have a serious Meeting, verse 16 says, bring everyone. Listen, and then it goes on to explain who everyone is. This, this is because some folk think life don't apply to them or rules don't apply to them. People are like, well, everybody needs to be there. Well, you, you know, except me because I just had a new baby. Uh, even the babies. The, the, well, I, the elders don't have to come because we're in charge. Of, the elders, the children, even the babies. And then it goes on to the, the furthest reaching group of people who really think they get a pass from having to come to anything, the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. You realize in that culture, when you got married, you got out of the military for a certain period of time. You didn't have to go to work. Maternity leave and paternity leave, that's all Old Testament stuff. These people were like, we don't have to go. We don't have to show up for the government. We don't have to show up for legal stuff. We don't have to go to court. We don't have to work. We don't have to pay our bills because we just got married. Well, when God says call this serious meeting, he means everybody. What am I telling you? No excuses. Well, I, I, I just, you know, I just got a new puppy. Uh, and, you know, he ain't full house broke. You're the one that bought the puppy. Let him chew your couch up between 7 and 8 o'clock. We're calling everyone, say everyone. everyone. We're calling everyone to come Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Verse 17 says, this is what needs to happen. The priests who minister in the Lord's presence will stand between the people and the altar weeping and let them pray. And this is what I'll be praying for these 21 days. Spare your people, Lord. They belong to you. So don't let them become an object of mockery. Don't let their name become a proverb of unbelieving foreigners who say, where is the God of Israel? He must be helpless. This is what's happened to the church in America. The church in America is a joke. 
to unsaved people. The church in America is a joke to Washington, D.C. Do you realize if all Christians decided, let's put Republican and Democrat out of the way, let's put white and black out of the way, let's put rich and poor out of the way, and let's just vote on righteousness. We'd be the largest voting bloc in this country. We, we would have all the power in the world if we could set aside our differences and decide, hey, let's just come together and be for real about this. But the church in America is a joke. Nobody's scared of the church. Nobody's scared of the church. I was so excited. I heard a story uh, when I was in Bible college in 1981. There was a church in Hammond, Indiana, outside Chicago, and it was called the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. I don't agree with their theology, but the pastor was a, name, a man named Dr. Jack Hiles, and Dr. Jack Hiles was a holiness preacher, and he was a hard hellfire brimstone, hell hot eternity long, get right or get left preacher, and he didn't take no shortcuts, and his church was the largest church in America at the time. His church attendance was larger than the city of Hammond's population because people were coming from the surrounding area to come into Hammond, Indiana to go to First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. So I'm like, well, this guy got the power of God on his life. Something's going on good in Hammond, Indiana. And so I started watching what was going on, and I heard him tell a story one time about back-to-school shopping for his little girl. He went to the J.C. Penney in downtown Hammond, Indiana, and he was going to get his little girl back-to-school clothes. She was going into the fifth grade. And so he's looking at clothes. He's got his little cart with him. He's, he's stacking up some clothes to get her. And he comes up to this whole section that got Playboy bunnies on the shirts and on the shorts. And there wasn't no pornography pictures or anything, but he recognized that play. And he said, put all that stuff back. We're not shopping here. We're not supporting J.C. Penney's as long as they're supporting pornography. And so put all that stuff back, went somewhere else, got his daughter her back-to-school clothes, and stood up the next morning in his service at First Baptist Church Hammond, Indiana, and he said, I want 10,000 letters this week to go to the general manager, J.C. Penney's, and let him know that the Christians in Hammond, Indiana will not stand for that. And we're not giving our J.C. Penney's away to the pornographer, and if they're going to have that filth in their store, then we'll shop somewhere else. And over 20,000 letters hit that store that week. Before the end of the week, the general manager called Dr. Howes and said, I want to apologize personally to you for the bad decision we have made by putting that in our store. We know we live in a very Christian community, and, and that offends too many of the good people of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, and we have removed it, and I'm offering you carte blanche to come through our store anytime and just let any of our sales associates know if there's anything that is not satisfactory in our store, we want to make sure we live up to the standards that, that, that are set by the people of our community. Now, you know what happened? Target decided, oh, y'all want to buck us because we want to let men pee standing next to little girls? We want to let men go in a little girl bathroom? Listen, if you want a grown trans whatever going in a bathroom with your seven-year-old girl, I want to talk to you about your daddying a little bit. But that's for a different time. Target got so mad because Christians booked that policy, they took Bibles out of their stores. And then so petitions started going around. And you know, you know, what, you know what Christians do when, when there's a petition, when there's a time to march? Y'all remember, African Americans remember the Million Man March? 71,000 people showed up. That's a little less than a million. Huh? Why? Why didn't a million men show up to the million man march? 
Because we just figured somebody else would do it. Why didn't enough people sign the petition and stop shopping at Target to make a dent in Target's pocket? Oh, well, because we got in our mind. Well, what can we do? I'm just one person. They don't care nothing about me. Listen, if the body of Christ stood together and said, look, we, 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 we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We've taken enough, and we ain't going to take no more. And Washington can listen to us, or we'll vote them out, and we'll get something better coming our way. Because in four years, you got a chance to vote somebody else in. Every four years, no matter if you like who's there or not. But we've got to get to the place where people fear God. The Queen of England, when England was on top of the world, or no, the Queen of Scotland, when England was on top of the world, uh, there was an English preacher, John Wesley, and she said publicly, this is an unsaved woman, she said, I fear the prayers of that one man more than all the ships of England's navy. And England had the strongest navy in the world. She said, I fear the prayers of that one man more than I fear all the ships of the British fleet. You know how much Washington's scared of Christians right now? We mean nothing. Nothing to them. We are mockery to them. You want to see how what Christians are valued in this country? Turn on any show you want to. You, you're going to have a really good-looking homo dude. You, you, you're going to have a gorgeous-looking skank on there sleeping with everybody, all of them getting drunk and smoking everything they can smoke. And if there is a Christian on there, he's just so weird and pervy acting. Y'all ever notice that? I always got to make the Christian dude out to be the chump. Why? Because if you made the homo dude out to be the chump, well, he's going to raise Cain. You want to know why gay, that gay people make up less than 2% of America? But they got a lot of protection. They got a lot of fear in Washington. You can't say nothing bad about homosexuals in America right now. Why? Because that little small minority stood together and said, look, y'all say something bad about us, we're we going to bark and squall. Christians, take, take, take the Ten Commandments off the courthouse. Well, oh, well. Take prayer out of school. Oh, well. Vote, vote in abortion for. I, they, they, they're killing babies in the, in, the, in the last couple of weeks of life right now. Filling up dumpsters with baby parts on, on, on third trimester abortions. Oh, well. Laughing, making a mockery. So God said it's time for people to stand up and, and, and say, look, God, do something for your people. Don't let, don't let them be this object of my, don't, don't let them laugh at us because we're Christian. The whole world up until this last century has feared the God of Israel. And America ain't doing itself no favors right now turning their back on Israel. God said he'll bless those that bless Israel and he'll curse those that curse Israel. And I don't care what your political persuasion is and I don't care who your favorite president is. When you back away from Israel and when you throw Israel to the dogs, you're in trouble. People have been scared of the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the real God, the true God, the powerful God. That ought to mean something. We walk in lockstep and we let folk know we're here. I mean, it worked for the homosexuals. Y'all want to know what the homosexuals said in the 70s? We're here, we're queer, and we ain't going nowhere. That's not even a word. But where... Didn't properly rhyme, so they slanged it up a little bit. I'm not talking about us getting militant and marching. I mean, that, that's going to come to that. I'm not talking about us 
uh, you know, going, going to Washington and telling them, look, cater to us or we, we're going to bark just as loud as the homosexuals bark. Muslims, less than 1.5% of the people in this country, we're bowing down to Muslims everywhere. They won't let a Christian pastor get on any government platform to open in prayer without making sure there's a Muslim there to represent as well. We live in a country that's over 70% professing Christians, less than 2% professing Muslims, but we get one Christian preacher and one Muslim preacher. That's not equal representation. I say every 75th time you let a Christian do it, throw a Muslim out there. That'll be equal representation. But they squall and they bark and they squawk because, hey, look, you can go on YouTube today. You can Google, burn a Bible. You can see over 700 videos in YouTube of people burning a Bible. Burn a flag. You can see hundreds of people burning a flag. Wipe your butt with the U.S. flag. You can see people dropping drawers and stretching a flag through their dirty behind and throwing it on the ground on YouTube. You can see pee on the Bible. You can watch people, these two crazy white dudes, got 100 videos out there where they're urinating on a Bible and lighting it on fire. No fear at all. One crazy man outside of Gainesville said that he might burn a Quran, and the whole world came to a halt. Y'all don't remember that? President Obama had to get in the middle of it. They were threatening war. They, they, they sent people. Me and Deacon, remember we went down there? We, we, I wanted to see who this fool was try, trying to act crazy. And we drove down. Deacon West like, you ain't going down there without me. This and sure enough, he was. He had a gun on his hip. A uh, bunch of weird, crazy posters on his wall, but that's a different story for a different time. What I'm telling you is you can't talk bad about Islam. Cartoonists make fun of Christians all the time, especially in the New York Times. They put out, a, they put out one cartoon that barely said something bad about somebody almost named Allah, and the whole world came to a screeching halt, and they killed that man. After he went into hiding, they killed him. And so everybody, now he's saying we go killing cartoonists now. But what I am saying is we need to get serious about who we represent. We represent the Lord God of all the earth. We shouldn't be ducking and hiding. God didn't put us here to kowtow to nobody. He didn't put us here to hide our light under a bushel. He put us here to stand up and be recognized, to take dominion in all the earth and to let the world know there's only one true God and his name is not Allah. And I don't want to see the continuation of what I've seen in my 53 years, the standard set by God's people go from here to here. I don't want it to see it go from here to here. It's time for us to get it from here to here. Are you following me? People don't need to be asking where's the God of Israel and saying that our God must be helpless. They need to be saying them homosexuals ain't got no help. They need to be saying the Muslims ain't got no help. Them Buddhists ain't got no help. Them unsaved people don't have any help because the people of God have God on their side. Verse 18 says, then the Lord will pity his people and be indignant for the honor of his land. That word pity means to have compassion, and that word indignant means to provoke to action. To have compassion and to provoke to action. Then, hold back, go back, go back real quick. Then the Lord will have pity. Y'all been around for a while? When is then? After. 
Then is always after. You see then in the Bible, in literature, it's after what you've already been told to do. After you come to God, serious. After you come to God in fasting, prayer, weeping, mourning, consecration, diligence. When you have a solemn meeting together, when there's unity in the house of God, when people come together with one heart, one mind, on one accord, with one purpose to lift up the standard of God's righteousness throughout the whole earth, then the Lord will pity his people and will be indignant for the honor of his land. Then after we do what God has told us to do, God's going to do some stuff. He's going to pity and be indignant. Those aren't easy words. We don't use those words in 2017. Show, show us what they mean. Pity means to have compassion, and indignant means to provoke into action. Then God is going to have compassion on his people, and he is going to be provoked into action. Now, I can tell you all right now, if I came down off this stage and somebody started getting mouthy with me and being aggressive with me, you're going to see Deacon West compassion for me. And if they try to put their hands on me, you're going to see him provoked into act. You still got three moves? Oh, you got two good ones, right? All right. As long as you got three good moves, I don't care. We're getting old together, though. We've been doing this a long time. When somebody that's big and bad has compassion for you and they get provoked into action, you're going to be okay. But the person that provoked them into action is in trouble. Listen, it's time for us to get out from under the hardness. It's time for us to get out from under the trouble. It's time for us to get out from under the struggle, the strain, the lack, and the slack. It's time for us to get out from under being busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted. It's time for us to quit being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's time for us to call out to God so he can have some compassion on us and he can be provoked into action and kick somebody in the eye. You say, well, that sounds mean. It is. You reap what you sow. God's church has been getting kicked around by this culture for a long time, disrespected for a long time, overlooked for a long time. We got to come to God in fasting and consecration so he can have some compassion on us. Listen, you ought to want to provoke God into action for you. You want to keep getting kicked around by the world? Keep doing what you're doing. Or do something instead of what you've been doing. Are you following me with this instead mindset? I want to provoke God into action to defend his own name, to glorify himself. Verse 19 said, he will reply. This is what God's going to say after we do what he tells us to do. Look, I'm sending you grain and wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. Now listen here. I don't need any grain. I don't drink wine, and I don't cook. So scratch all that for me. Don't send me grain, don't send me wine, don't send me olive oil. But what these represent is what we need. Because that was currency 5,000 years ago. That was how they, that was how they satisfied their needs. You, you could take some olive oil to the market and buy you some chicken with some olive oil. You can't do that in public. They don't want chickens, faith, or prophecy. They don't want you praying in tongues for them. They want money. They, they want currency. God says... This is what I'll say to you. Because you provoke me into action now, I'm going to give you enough to satisfy your needs. What if, what if your testimony in 2017 was you had more than enough? 
What if you had more than enough money so you could help other people around you? What if you had more than enough time in your day so you didn't feel stressed out? What if you had more than enough peace in your mind so you could be a blessing to somebody else? What if you had more than enough joy flowing off of you so you could make somebody else's load lighter? What if you had more than enough of God's blessing on you so everywhere you walk, somebody was asking you that question that so few people have been asked? Aren't you? You ever seen one of those people where somebody says, you, are you a Christian? You, I just, I, I just need to ask. You, you, see, enough people don't get asked that question in 2017. People ought to be asked. If you got more than enough Holy Ghost on you, somebody ought to be asking you. They tell stories about people like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to sit in restaurants, and the busboys and the waiters would walk by and fall to the ground and just start crying and weeping in repentance because he had more than enough Holy Ghost on him to bring conviction to people all the way around him. Revivals in America in the 20s and 30s. Bars were shutting down and people were coming to church. Now in 2017, we got people skipping church to go to the bar. Are you hearing me? We got to turn it on its head. We got to do something instead of what we've been doing. We got to try to see if we can't get a perhaps blessing. We got to see if we can't try to get some compassion and some provocation to God. Because I'm going to tell you this, my God is big enough and able enough to, if you bothering me and he, and, and he gets provoked at you, watch out. That's why folks say, be careful who you talk about. You be talking about God's people. Stop talking about God's people. Listen, if you just got to be mean, hateful, and gossipy, talk about lost folk. Talk about Muslims. I'm joking. Don't talk about anybody. But I see people talk about saints like they ain't got no fear. I guarantee you this. I get, you, you ain't talking bad about Tabitha Duckworth with Robin Duckworth. Elder Robin will knock. Well, he's a Christian, but he ain't going to take it. He'll put that shoe right up on How do you look? talking bad about his wife in front of him. But you feel comfortable talking about saints to other saints, talking about saints to sinners? The Bible says that the saints are the bride of Christ. You can't love God and hate his bride. You can't be bad-mouthing other. No fear. You're walking around. Listen, you better start reading the Bible in 2017 because the Bible ain't changed. God of the Bible ain't changed. 42 children. God sent bears out of the woods to eat 42 children because they were mocking a preacher. Am I right? No fear in America, though. You don't want to talk about Christians like God ain't listening. I'm telling you what. I believe God is getting provoked. And I believe there's going to be some things come out of hiding in 2017. And I believe there's going to be some people that are going to get elevated and catapulted to the forefront in 2017. But it's going to be people who are willing to do something instead of what they've been doing. And then they will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nation. Ain't nobody scared of America. Listen, I don't care what you think about Ronald Reagan. Be Republican, Democrat, whatever you want to be. I was in the Army when Reagan was the president. You were in the Army when Reagan was the president. You were a young soldier back then, man. You were just green and lean. Hey, we had everything when Reagan was the president. We had everything. There was no lack of bullets. We, I was stationed at Red River Army Depot. We had nine miles of M118s, armored personnel, APCs on a ready line. We had nine miles of tanks just sitting there, wait, just in case we need them. We had three miles of Bradley tanks just in a straight line. It was the coolest thing you ever saw in your life. 
Why? Because Reagan was the president, and he wasn't playing no joke, and the money was flowing, and we were getting raises, and we were getting paid, and we had everything that we needed to do what we needed to do. But lately, since him, all of them, take them. You don't, I don't have to get on your one you like, the one you don't like. Whether it's Bushes, Clintons, any of them, they done, none of them done the military right. You, you, we got a man served 30-plus years in the Army. He'll tell you. He elevated to the highest rank in, in the enlisted, enlisted rank. Listen, none, America, I tell my kids, because my kids are going to be in the military, because that's what my family does. My kids are going in the military. You say, Pat, you going to send your Yes. Talk to me about it. I'll let you know why. But the sad reality, and I tell them, man, it was glory days when Reagan was in. And they used to have cartoons. They called him Ray Gun. They'd show a picture of him. He'd be brushing his teeth, finger on the button. Tiny shoe, finger on the button. Combing his hair, finger on the button. Ray Gun. They were scared to death of Ronald Reagan. Why? Because our military was stacked and packed and we were ready to attack and we were not a mockery of anybody and everybody was scared of America. Pastor, you think the world ought to be scared of us? You, you, you sure right they need to be scared of us. But listen, you ain't scared of little nobody. Chicken that Joe ain't scaring nobody. You know, dude, dude, dude 47, 47 people in a platoon, thir- 13 rifles. 12 bullets. <laughs> I ain't too scared of you at this point. We need to get strong as the army of God, the way the military was when I was in the military. We need to determine, listen, we're the people that God put on this planet to take dominion, to be in charge. We're the people that have the power of God on our side. We don't have to be scared of our boss. We don't have to be scared of our employer. We don't have to be scared. As, as long as we're living right and pleasing God, all right, they better worry about They don't mess around, provoke God on my behalf. God come out there and let them know, hey, you, you ain't going to mock my children anymore. And I believe that if you will provoke God's righteousness in 2017, you will get his pity and you will get his indignation. And you will no longer be an object of mockery. Some of y'all been wondering why you can't rise up, why you can't get to where you're trying to get to. Because you won't do what you need to do. Coming to church ain't the whole answer. Well, I come to church every time the door is open, Pastor. Get serious about it. Yes, I'm going to let all the rest of this go. I ain't even going to get to my punchline today. But I'm going to tell you this. Get serious about it. Because when you get serious about God, God's going to get serious about you. You get serious about honoring God with your money. You get serious about honoring God with your marriage. You get serious about honoring God with your family. You get serious about honoring God with your mouth, with your words, with your thoughts. You get serious about honoring God with the way you live, and you watch God come out. People wonder, where is God in 2017? He's sitting down waiting on you to provoke him. He's sitting down waiting on his children to get him to step up. Last thing I'll tell y'all, many of y'all already heard it, my famous pickle jar message. I'm the best pickle jar opener in my house. I can watch my kids. Where were we at with that salsa jar? We were at Nana's house. Seth trying to open a salsa jar at Nana's house. No, you, you gave it to me and I got it open. I have seen my children so many times at my house trying to open stuff in the kitchen. Pickle jar. Tap on it. 
with a knife. That don't do nothing. Wedge under it with a spoon. You're getting somewhere now. Run cold water. Oh, myth. You want to know where to get that pickle jar open? Hand it to a grown man. Say, Dad, can you open it? See, I will sit in my recliner and laugh at my children trying to open jars they can't open. Y'all need help? Nope, got it. I can get it. Okay, knock yourself out. How's that water working? Loosen it up for you? Tapping it on the edge? Getting any better for you? Oh, now you dented it and made it harder to open. But when they say, Dad, can you open this pickle jar for me? Because I can. See, maybe you can open the pickle jar too. But there are things in your life that you can't do that only God can. Maybe you can open every jar in your house. Maybe you can open the salsa jar. And you don't need your dad. You don't need your husband. You don't need a grown man to open a pickle jar for you. But there are things in your life that only God can do. And he's sitting there. You need help with that? I'm straight. Need help with that? I'm good. I got it. So he sits. But if you would just cry out and say, God, I need you to help me, Father, with my money, with my mind, on my job. You're trying to figure out how you're going to get that crazy boss off you. Let God deal with that person. Start turning stuff over to God. Why do you want to carry it all on your own? God didn't design you to be a pack mule. He designed you to be his child, the heir of God's everything. You need to unburden yourself and let God carry you. He can do better. He can do what we can't do, but you've got to ask him for it. I'm not going to have a long invitation, but I want to tell you this. God said, if you will call on him in your time of trouble, he will help you. That's all you got to do, church. Call on God in your time of trouble. We're going to do that every night from 11th through the 31st. I want you to join us. I'm going to talk more about this tonight. But if you're here and you're not saved, God said, if you call on his name, he'll save you. Some of you are going through real stuff, and you know. Doctor can't do nothing for you. Society can't do nothing for you. Only thing left now, that's what, that's what they told us with my wife. On diagnosis at 34 years old, she already had stage 4 colon cancer that was in, had already spread to her liver, her lungs, her brain, and her hips. Her liver was in shutdown. That's why I took her in. We didn't even know she was sick. And they said she probably won't make it through the weekend. And I told that man, I said, well, lots of people beat cancer. He said, not this. I said, well, there's got to be something you can do. He said, go home. It's in, it's in God's hands. And people say that as if that's a bad thing. Oh, it's in God's hands? Whose hands would you rather it be in? We need to realize if we put our stuff in God's hands, his hands are better than ours. Can you believe that for your situation today? Can you believe that God's hands are better than yours? Can you believe that God is bigger and stronger and smarter than you? If you can, you can get him to stand up for you and work on your behalf. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love, your gracious, kind, 
merciful way, God. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for not wanting to punish us. Lord, we are trying with everything that we have to come together as a church. Over racial difficulty, over political difficulty, over hardships, physical problems. We're trying, God, as your children to walk as one. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to be unified. Can't do it for everybody else, God, but I pray that you'd let us do it here. This is where you have us. This is the church you've provided for us. Help us, God, to love you and to love each other. Help us, God, to seek you with our whole heart. Lord, I pray, God, that you would have pity on us, have compassion on us. Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, to be provoked into action. Work on our behalf. We confess that you can do what we can't do, and we need you every hour. Help us to be mindful of our need for you, God, so that we will call on you more. Help us to be mindful of our need for you so that we will put all of our things in your hand. Our confession is that you are able and we are not. So we ask you to have your way in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.